streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. We are back. Another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. And for the first time in our podcast history, we are talking NCAA tournament. I'm always excited, as you guys can tell. And when I get to sit down with my guy, my friend, my partner on this podcast, Tim McCormick, who was a great player at the University of Michigan, Went on as a first-round draft pick in the NBA. Now offers outstanding commentary, whether it's talking about the Pistons, Fox Sports Detroit, or college basketball color commentary. And, of course, his commentary on this podcast is second to none when it comes to Michigan. Tim McCormick, like I said, I know you can tell I'm excited. I know you're excited, too. No doubt. And and this is why I hope in this year, Sam, I— this is a year of challenges and drama and anxiety, just like a normal NCAA tournament. And, you know, there's no Kentucky, there's no Duke, Virginia and Kansas and North Carolina, not quite as talented. Villanova just lost their point guard. The Big Ten's been beating each other up. And, and so I cannot wait. And, and Sam, you know, th- this last week, so much has happened that's caused me to reflect on my senior year. So if it's okay, I want to share a couple of memories that I think relate to this team. Is that okay? That's perfect. Yeah. So in 83, 84, um, my Michigan team, my senior year was 24 and nine, and we were in the NIT semis versus Del Curry and Virginia tech. And I sprained my left ankle in the first half of that game at MSG. I had sprained that same ankle against Dayton before Christmas. And I remember thinking that that my career might be over. And I, I limped into the locker room, and and it kind of reminded me of Eli Brooks, except I was too big to be carried. But I I remember telling the, the trainer, I said, you know what? I said you need to t- tape it up tight because I'm I'm playing in the second half. And we are, we are up by one. Got to stop. I made a couple free throws, and then we went on to end Notre Dame um, in the finals, and it was my best game ever. And, and so over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about that game and I relived my journey and how life-changing it was. And, and, and when I saw Eli Brooks roll his ankle, I had flashbacks in a big way. And on our last podcast, I said, Sam, Eli's going to play versus Ohio state and beyond. And, and I, I really remain optimistic that Isaiah Livers is going to play too. Um, he's going to he's going to have to wait to the Sweet Sixteen, but he's got two weeks to get ready. And and these are only educated guesses. I may be way off, but I think that that he will play. I think that this squad is a team of destiny. I think that that our guy John Bacon is going to write a book about this team. <laughs> like like I I just um I, I've watched every single game this year. I've watched 965 minutes of really good ball. And I think this team has a run in them. And so I'm optimistic. I'm excited, Sam. Man, I, I hope you're – look, who am I to say that Tim McCormick uh, is is wrong in his prediction in this cycle? Because you have been nailing left and right predictions about this Michigan basketball team. And and with, with evidence, though, to back it up, like you said with Eli – you know, he came back out on the bench under his own power, albeit in a boot. 
But that I, I think there was a message in him being back out on the floor, and you were spot on in that. The, the difference in this particular uh, instance, though, Tim, is you know stress injury, stress fracture. Uh, a you could see it now that we know what the injury is. You can you could trace it back. You remember when he went down versus Illinois? You know, and it seemed like a nothing thing. He went down, he grimaced, and he was a little hobbled from that point on. And you could kind of see a little hitch in this gate here and there in the next couple of games. Then he tweaked it. He tweaked it before the Maryland game and really aggravated it in the game and knew it was something that had been bothering him for a while, but it was made worse uh, in that game. So it, it's one of those things that that makes me think that you're right in saying that the possibility is there for his return, and it it is distinct. But the the quickness with which he can return, I just think that if he does come back, and he called it miraculous if he returns. That, that was his quote. I, I think it's Final Four. I think they got to get to the Final Four for him to, to hit well, the court. I hope that, you're right, that, though. That, that might be John Bacon's book title, Miraculous. Oh, so <laughs> I, I am, once again... You know, I, I've learned on my basketball broadcast that we never speculate about injuries, but I think this is a little bit different. And and I'm talking about my own experience. Mm-hmm. My last year in the league, I um, I played for about the last month with a, 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 a very sore foot. Looking back on it, I know I had a stress fracture. I found out I got an x-ray. So I played with a stress fracture through the playoffs and 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 it was really sore. Um, but I was able to play mm-hmm. and, and, and about a month after that, during a workout, it just broke. I mean, and, and it was, it was an incredible pain. I couldn't put any weight on it. And so I know the different degrees that he's going through and the fact that he played for a substantial amount of time, I think it was, you know, Maryland and, and he played for a lot of games. Yeah, He played the, the rest of the Illinois game and he played both. Uh, both Michigan State games and into the Maryland game. Yeah, and so I think that that they caught it fairly early. Like it's not like he was in massive pain and could not put any weight on it at all. And so I'm just thinking that that with modern technology, with with the the the, the medical expertise of Michigan staff, John Beeline's raved about it on the Big Ten Network. Ju- Juwan Howard has the ultimate faith in them. I, I just think that that Isaiah came back with some unfinished business and and I think that after after two weeks, I think he'll give it a try. And I, I certainly hope they can get there because that would be very sad if they get knocked off in the first weekend. Yeah, it, it certainly would. And you know, think about it, they they've also moved the schedule down a bit. I mean, Michigan's first game is is Saturday, you know, so Saturday, Monday, you you move the entire tournament down. A little bit. And every day counts. <laughs> Something like this, right? So get a little extra yep. time. Uh, you hope that it's enough for for Sweet Sixteen. I I just you know he he obviously has to have a mind. You're you're already in the pros, Tim, and you know you you have some financial security. Uh, here he is trying to get there, right? And so no doubt, no so doubt that I plays into that it too. too. No, I I agree, but. You know, it's um, it's it's interesting because he's their leader, he's their captain, he's their number one scorer, he's the only guy with with Final Four experience as a starter. He's their best shooter. He's a star on defense. The the margin for error is very slim this time of year, 
and maybe I, I I've got to take off my maize and blue glasses and my maize and blue hat and you know think more long term. But I'm I'm optimistic, and I just have this image of him, you know, running through the tunnel, and everybody's going to cheer, and he he leads the team to a national championship. It would be a storybook finish. Um, and and I'm just I'm hopeful. I really am. All right, so let's let's look ahead. You know they're going to be without him for a period of time. Uh, they had what eight, twelve hours to to figure out what the new role definition would be. Brandon Johns into the starting lineup, still bringing Shondi off the bench. Terrence Williams gets some more minutes. That's an abrupt turnaround to to settle into new roles. And you know, to their credit, I mean, they came within one point of of uh, of Ohio State. With that quick turnaround, I remember talking to some of the guys that morning. He said, we have enough. And I think they do have enough, Tim, but it's going to require some, their their guys to take more on their respective shoulders in Isaiah Livers' absence. So what's your outlook as you look into the tournament and at least for the foreseeable future without Isaiah Livers? What do you think of this team, of what their ceiling is? Well, th- this is a tough one because, you know, we, we saw Michigan start 11-0. Uh, we watched them win six road games in the Big Ten. We've seen them beat four top ten opponents. Uh, we've seen Hunter Dickinson during stretches be the best player in the Big Ten. We've seen Mike Smith and Eli Brooks take over games. We, we've we've seen that they've got a great bench. We've seen that Jawan um, can dominate other longtime coaches. Um, and 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 I and I think that if we're going to look ahead. There are concerns that that should be addressed. Um, the first one is that things have changed, and and it started on March second against Illinois. Uh, they get blown out at home, and it really shook their confidence. And then also, what happens nowadays is that if somebody does something that works, it changes everybody else's scouting report. And and Illinois found something, and Michigan looks susceptible especially to the ball pressure, you know, limit the penetration, don't help too much on Hunter, contest three-point shooting, and Michigan has now lost three of five. And I think that the biggest issue is that the fear factor is gone. Um, the early part of the Big Ten, everybody looked at Michigan like, these guys are killers. We, we've got no answer for, for what they're doing. Um, I think that Michigan swagger has been hurt. There's been a little slippage on defense. I'm not sure who the go-to guy is. Uh, last five games, did you know that there's been a top score, a different top score every game? Now, some might say, well, they've got really good balance. I think you need to know late in the game who your guy is. Mm-hmm. And it really showed up at the end of the Ohio State game. You know what happened? What, 20 seconds to go? And uh, it's a miraculous comeback. You've got a timeout and an unstoppable force in Hunter Dickinson. He had 21. Right. He, he makes his free throws. He loves either block. He's a willing passer if they sell out. And Michigan was unsure what to do. Yeah, and man. that's not the way they played earlier in the Dude, year. Dude, Tim, I, you're reading my mind because if you watch the game before that, it's a very similar situation with Purdue. Uh, they're down, and they get, it, they get it in to Trevion Williams, and he delivered. And over I'm thinking, and over, right, over and over. Right, and I'm thinking, man, here we go. History over again. They they are having problems with Hunter on the block. Get the ball to him. It, 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 was, a, it was kind of the same kind of deal as when they played during the regular season. I mean, there were so many recurring themes 
So the recurring theme of they can't stop Trevion Williams down the stretch, Ohio State. Dump it into him, he goes to work. Recurring theme, Michigan, Ohio State. Hunter Dickinson has six points in that first game, in the first half of the first game against Ohio State. He comes out and explodes in the second half for 16. Six points in the first half of this game in the tournament against Ohio State. Then he gets rolling again in the second half of this game. So it just, it all added up to me, get the ball to Hunter in this sequence. He is feeling it. They they aren't stopping him, just like we saw Ohio State, just like we saw with Trevion Williams. And it's not that it wasn't a good shot. Uh, you know, I just felt like I just would have liked the ball in Hunter's hands uh, down the stretch earlier in the shot clock. So even if he missed it, you file and maybe you can extend the game a little bit. I, I, I didn't like the shot. Michigan was unsure and they were hesitant. And, and it was a secondary type of play that, that they were, they were, they went to their five eleven guy to shoot a fall away jump shot at the top of the key versus a, a big defender. And, and he was one for 11 from the field in that game. If he takes that shot against Maryland, I feel a lot better because he's right in the middle of the game of his life. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it, you know, just like basketball players get hot and, and you go to them and everything that they dial up works. I think for most of this season, the same thing for Michigan's coaching staff, everything that they did was working and now they have to make adjustments too. as an example, Franz had his fourth foul with 609 left and they were down eight and they left him in. And I just kept thinking, okay, that's pretty risky. Um, there, there's certain guys that I might leave in the game in certain situations. You know, maybe, maybe if Hunter's got four fouls and he's playing against somebody that's a non-factor, then, then maybe I leave him in. But, but when you think of Franz, Franz is emotional yeah, he is. and he's aggressive and he fouled out in 51 seconds later. And, and I don't know if that was a calculated risk or if it was a miscommunication from the assistant coaches. Um, I think it would have been great to have Franz down the stretch, right? Yeah, it would have been, it would have been. And I, it seemed like there was some confusion on the bench or some disagreement from between the bench and the refs about how many fouls uh, Franz had, but water under the bridge. Now, I think you raise a great point about how teams seem to feel like they have the cheat code now. We know how to limit Michigan. And to the credit of the teams here that they face late, they've done a better job against the Wolverines. I, I think two, a few things have, have really come to the fore. You do need Mike Smith to be more aggressive. And to a, great, to a large extent, he has been. Mid-range, they think that him putting it on the deck, he can get too deep and they can defend him. So his mid-range game has got to raise up a notch or two. And I think he has that in him. I mean, you look at Maryland, for instance, he was hitting from from deep. He, I thought he had his in-between game going pretty well. That has to be at the four. I think that Hunter Dickinson, you know, his ability to take advantage of guys one-on-one -on -one in the post has got to be in, in mid-season form. And he, got, he has to stay on the floor. Bigger than that, he has to stay on the floor. We talked about it last week, Tim. He picked up another foul. With a movie setting a screen, he, those files have got to be cut out for Hunter Dickinson. He has got to be on the floor more consistently than we've seen here uh, at the end of the season. And then, you know, just more efficient as a team, as their perimeter guys getting downhill. And I'm looking at Shondi Brown in that way. He's not a guy that we've seen involved in much ball screen action in the absence of Isaiah Livers. 
I think maybe you do that because they are committed to contesting threes, running them off the three-point line, giving them some leverage. And if you remember, this is what we thought Shawnee Brown was going to be, right? A guy who's getting downhill, getting to the bucket. That really hasn't been his game in Ann Arbor. I think maybe we're going to need to see a little more of it moving forward. Man, I am so proud. I've got you talking like a seven-footer, Sam. I, I love it. <laughs> talking talking about setting those screens. You know what? If I was Hunter, I, I liken it to this. There's two plays that can really destroy a big man's game. The first one is if if you're covering a guard and I'm your big man and you let him buy you and I come over to help and then he misses a shot and my guy gets a dunk, or he passes it to my guy and he gets a dunk. I'm thinking, I'm not coming anymore. You know, stop your own man. And, and so <laughs> the other play is if I'm a big man and I'm coming out on the perimeter to set a screen to free you up and you leave too early and give me my second foul and I'm sitting out the rest of the first half, that makes a big man really angry. Slippage, that has to be corrected right away. Another guy, we got to talk about Brandon Johns. Mm-hmm. What a huge opportunity for him. Yep. And and I think he is going to be a hidden key for Michigan in this tournament. Okay? He's a high four-star recruit, so you know he's super athletic and he's highly regarded. Um, I have noticed that in his post game, and I think this can be really important, he's got to get lower and he's got to use those angles a little bit better. When he dribbles, if he stands up, he loses his handle. He does not have a great ball handling ability in the low post in his game. But when he stays low, you know, if, if I give him four dribbles to get to the middle of the paint, he can totally do it. And remember, when he plays Texas Southern or Mount St. Mary's or even LSU and St. Bonaventure, those four teams all have something in common. And you're going to see it a lot at the mid-majors. They have power forwards that are 6'5", that can shoot threes and play in transition and and play downhill. Well, Brandon can take advantage of those guys because he's bigger on offense and can post them up, but he's athletic enough that he can cover them at three. So I think he's going to be a huge player for Michigan. Yeah, I think he, you know, with with time maybe comes a little comfort. Uh, It was, I was surprised to, to see Ohio State really dedicate the kind of attention to detail that they did with him. You you, see, you remember when they jumped his drop step like that? I was like, man, they're, they're really – I think it was Dwayne Washington that did that. I was like, man, they've been scouting deep, uh, and they have a little respect for his his postgame because he had beat him with a drop step earlier in the contest. So he he does have an arm. He can hit a three. Uh, he can put it on the floor for a few dribbles facing up. You know, can he be another weapon in the post – consistently for, for for me it's a matter of confidence you know he has it in him he was an alpha in high school to your point tim uh but here it's been it's been a, a couple of years of definitely a reserve role to the point where he even questioned whether he would stay here i think but this is mm-hmm. what you stayed for right this is what you stayed this is the challenge that was issued to him Hey, you you questioned what your role was going to be. You stayed and you had a real role on this team. You wondered if you would ever be a frontline guy. You're a frontline guy now. So this is what you stayed for. The opportunity is in front of you. Let's go get it. It's just a matter to me, it's a matter of confidence with him. Yeah, and and right now, know your role and be very clear with it. For Brandon Johns, I don't want to see him shoot a three right now. Okay. Okay. 
Come back next year as a three-point shooter, but right now we've got to win games and be as efficient. I want to see him set screens and roll hard to the offensive glass. He grabbed the manliest rebound on the offensive boards and got fouled in the second half. He is going to be a force against smaller guys on the on the offensive boards. Um, and, and I want him running in transition. I want him to grab 10 rebounds. It's interesting and, you, know, you say, Tim, I, I got a question for you on that. It's interesting you say that. And I can't remember if it was Ohio State or it was the Maryland game. Uh, because BJ, he was on the floor and they they helped off of him and he ran inside. And I remember there being a timeout and Juwan was like, look, I need you standing out by the three-point line, beyond the three-point line to keep the floor spaced. And I, and I wonder if he'll be a guy that if he is if he is unwilling to take that shot, if it becomes one of those things where he makes it easier to help, uh, especially with, with Hunter on the floor, if you think that'll be an issue. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I I want him sprinting to, to the offensive glass. You can spread the court, okay? He's made enough threes that the team that they're playing will know that he's capable. But I, I want Shondi knocking down threes. I want Eli Brooks as my guy. I want Frank. Brandon Johns can get from the three-point line to the rim in 1.2 seconds. So when he sees Eli Brooks catch it in space, that's when he sprints to the offensive boards. There, there may be opportunities too, though, against LSU where you may want your 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 perimeter guys just to get back and stop their break. So, so there's 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 so much intrigue, and and I guess right now we're doing a decent job of evaluating Michigan's game keys against one of four teams. We don't even know who they are right now. Yeah, yeah, we we will certainly get into it uh, in the uh, in the coming days. I just got to ask you a question, something you said on Twitter, and it it's struck a chord with me and it seemed to strike a chord with the guy. So Juwan gets thrown out of the game versus Maryland. Right. And you said in the tweet, I don't know what he said. I just know how I react as a player. I would be like, man, my coach has my back. I'm going to run through a brick, brick wall for this guy. And Michigan's guys, you know, the players felt like that anyway, but I talked to Isaiah after the game and he said, that was the exact response <laughs> that the guys had. They were like, man, Coach has our back. Uh, he's not gonna let it. He's not gonna let anyone take advantage of us. He's gonna stick up for us. And it was one of those moments where, at the end of the day, Juwan said, "Hey, look, time, place. It wasn't the right reaction, even though it was, you know, one that I felt, you know, emotionally in the moment. I got to respond. But in retrospect, there's a better way to do it. But I'm gonna stick up for my guys. I think that that's a that's a rallying cry for a team." As if they needed one. They didn't need one. But this is just another sign of the the connection between players and coach right as they're heading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I have two thoughts. Um, number one, it wasn't a good move tactically because of the fact that in a close game in the postseason, you can't give your opponent points. Imagine in a one-point game and, and you're going to be remembering two free throws you gave your opponent. I get that part of it. But it worked out so well because Juwan knows his team, and they responded to him earlier. Um, I don't know if it maybe it was Oakland. There was a game in which Juwan got a technical foul, and the team took off shortly thereafter. Um, and I actually had a flashback. Uh, so during my career at Michigan, I think it was my sophomore year, maybe junior, probably junior year, and we were playing Indiana at home. And, and Bob Knight 
was going crazy on the sideline. And my coach, Bill Frieder, got in his face and was yelling and was, you know, he, he, he incited Bobby Knight. And Knight got two technical fouls. And I was able to make four technical foul free throws that turned out to be the difference to beating a very good Indiana team. And I've always remembered that, that, that that's pretty intimidating to go toe to toe with Bobby Knight. And he did that. And it really got our team fired up. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is definitely a trigger. And Isaiah said, I wasn't even <laughs> playing at that point, but I was ready to get back on the floor uh, because of what coach Howard did. Too. And I think, I think Michigan was up, what, you know, a few points, what 10, maybe they were up. Uh, at that point in time when it happened, not that he, I don't know that he was even processing, <laughs> processing that at that point, Tim. I think it was just the raw emotion of it. But again, the, how connected this, this team is, they family was the word after the game. And you can really see that family like culture uh, in this team. But Tim, yeah, Tim, you know, what, one other, one other thing, Sam, you know, with, with the passing of Marvin Hagler this week, um, it really made me think about my favorite fight of all time with Hearns Hagler. Oh, and, and, I, oh, wow. and you know, I, I really felt sad that I didn't get a chance to watch Kofi and Hunter. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just thought that would be something where, you know, I would go in a separate room and tell everybody, I don't want to talk to anybody, just stay away from me and, and just fully enjoy that. And, and so I feel like I've, was cheated a little bit out of that I, I think we all were and hopefully we get an, a chance an opportunity to see that moving forward right so that would mean a deep run by Michigan and I, I think that Hunter would be better in in the rematch you know a little more experience knows how they're going to defend him uh you know maybe has a a few counter moves in the arsenal that you were talking about in the last podcast so hopefully we can see that a little bit down the line. And my last one for you, Tim, before we get into our guest this week, you said something last week about heading into the NCAA tournament. You wanted to see Franz in particular, if Franz could, could channel that, that Mo Wagner surge. And if of all the players that we talked about, you talked about uh, BJ, Brandon Johns having to do more. We talked about Hunter uh, being able to stay on the floor. Mike Smith, you know, his in-between game, getting to the, you know, getting to that mid-range, being more, um, you know, more potent, more consistent. Uh, but I don't think that there's a player on the squad whose aggression, whose production, uh, you know, is is more required. An increase in it is more required than, than Franz Wagner. I think he's the guy. He's the guy whose load uh, gains the most in this sequence. And I'm curious if you agree and what you expect from from Franz Wagner in this tournament. You're right. And, and Franz, it, he, he's so much more than just an offensive player. You know, he, um, he's so good defensively. And I was actually really upset last weekend watching Franz dominate a game, a comeback with his defense, blocking shots, hands in the passing lane. And he's not even all defense. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's embarrassing. He's not the defensive player of the year, but that, that he's not even on one of the five spots on the all defensive team was ridiculous. Um, but I found that that scouting reports right now are so deep and, and it, it started at Illinois. And if you take away Franz's right hand, he gets a little bit limited. You know, the majority of his points are going to be in transition from three or driving and finishing to his right. 
if you get back in in transition and force him left, his his productivity goes down. But it's not just him. Think about this. Franz and Smith and Sean D. Brown were four for 27 against Ohio State, and you lose by one without your best player, Isaiah Livers. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Just amazing that that happened. Hey, well, you know what else is amazing? As we transition into our guests, we will come back and and talk about some potential matchups for Michigan uh, in the tournament. But what was amazing was to see a guy 6'5", 6'5", 235, 240, dominate. Higher than that, higher than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let you you give the the weight, Tim. But dominate the NBA – in the way that Charles Barkley did for a long, long time. Truly one of the greats and has transitioned better than most into the broadcast booth where he is must-see TV. Yeah. You know, if if Charles was your teammate, it was a fun environment. Um, you know, dinner together, trips to AC, rounds of golf, going to clubs, road trips were, were always fun. I remember as an example, um, after a bad loss one night, um, I came to practice. We practiced at St. Joe's and there was this big tree outside the front door and, and I pulled in and Charles had gotten there earlier and earlier. And he had, had taken my shoes and my shorts and my socks, my practice Jersey. And he threw it all up in the top of this really big tree by the front door. And, and if you were on Charles's team, life was going to be fun. And, and, and he does a great job. I think his basketball IQ is off the chart. I think he could have been a really good coach. And I think it's so much fun that every year during March that he and Ernie and and Kenny, they transition to being college basketball analysts too. And so it's, it's really, really good to have him. Uh, This is you outdone yourself with this guest. So we got to get to a break. We come back on the other side. We will be joined by the guy they used to call the round mound to rebound. Charles Barkley. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, and we've had some some great guests. But this is, you know, I know I've, I sound like a fan sometimes, but none more than today because this dude did it all on the floor. He could shoot. He could dribble. He could dunk on you. He could rebound. Uh, and he wasn't taking any mess on the court. And you can hear him not taking any mess in the broadcast booth talking about none other than the great Charles Barkley joins us on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you, Tim. Oh, Chuck, good to talk to you, too. You know, I, um, I was telling Sam that in my four years of college and my 10 years of playing the NBA, you are my favorite teammate, and I really value our friendship, and I'm looking forward to this. Well, um, when you reached out the other day, I said, of course, I'll make it work, man. I'll tell you what, though, this Mark Madness, man, it's like a real damn job. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we'll make it easier because I'm not going to make you talk about the Detroit Pistons at all. How's that? Hey, listen, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, 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 Chuck. Hey, hey listen, hey, mate, Michigan, 
might be the best team in the state. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, that's sad. That's a sad thought, but you could be right. <laughs> so It is, so, brother. It's ugly. Let, listen, for the last 10 years now, you've been a, a college basketball analyst, too. And, and so I, I'm just curious, you and Kenny and Ernie, how do you transition from being NBA experts to, to figuring out the NCAA term? That's a lot to learn. Well, first of all, stop using the word expert. I hate when people call people expert. There's nobody as an expert in anything. You just, your opinion. So when guys call people expert, it just annoys the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> You know, for me, uh, I start, so starting I, the first couple of months, I, I do only NBA. I don't even worry about college at all. But my start day is like January the 1st. So we get written reports every week on every conference. Uh, so that to me is probably where the real work starts. Uh, and then starting January the 1st, because, you know, uh, uh, November, December, I'm strictly NBA. I like I say, I don't even try. If I, if I catch a game, if it's, it's a big game, I might watch it, but I'm not going crazy looking at what kind of defenses they play, what they switching up things and things like that. But starting January the 1st, I really start paying attention to the written reports we get every week on every conference. And then for the last month, uh, I probably have watched – at least three games a day, mm. at least three games a day. Uh, because the hardest thing is those smaller conferences, You don't, they don't come on TV until late when they're doing the tournaments. It's easy to get to watch all the big boys play. But, you know, they're on ESPN, CBS, Big Ten Network, SEC Network. So those are easy to find. But when you get to the tournament, you're like, oh, man. Where is Belmont? Where, how am I going to watch Belmont? And they probably was the one team that probably got screwed out of this tournament. We you know people talk about teams that got left out. And then you have to find Winthrop. You know, so to me, that's the hardest part. But, you know, Tim, the one thing that you know, we know somebody in every state, every conference through basketball. So I've spent the last three or four days calling coaches or calling friends of mine who are assistant coaches, and they can give you a quick synopsis of, a, of, of, of like a, a, a mid, I call it a mid-major, because they played them or they, they know somebody who can put you in contact with somebody. Sounds good. So you're not an expert. We'll, we'll move on from that. But we'd love to hear your analysis on the University of Michigan and Juwan Howard, and can they overcome Isaiah Liver's injury? And what is your read on the Wolverines? Well, they were my third team uh, before the young little, little man got hurt. Uh, I got Gonzaga. I, I actually got a couple bets out there. I was saying uh, I'll take Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan, and I'll give everybody else the feel, and I feel really good about that. That's a, that, that's my first thing. But now I think with the little, the little fella out, I don't think they can win it. I really don't. I think they can go to at least a sweet 16. But I think at some point, because he, to me, was the leader. Yeah. And Tim, you know that. When your leader goes down, it has a psychological effect on your team. I think they're good enough to get to at least a sweet 16. But after that, I think 
we're going to have some really good teams um, that they're going to have to beat. I don't have that bracket right in front of me, but like I'm uh, uh, three weeks ago, I would have taken uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and maybe even Illinois because uh, they've been terrific. That guy can really coach Coach Underwood. He can really flat out coach. And uh, I thought I think Juwan has done a fabulous job. I really hate the injuries going to take the. You know, there's two teams that got really screwed by injuries: Villanova and Michigan. Yep. No doubt. Uh, they 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 both were top five, ten teams a month ago, but the injuries. Villanova got two guys out. That's going to kill them. Uh, but listen, I'm not sure Michigan can win it now. Yeah, Colin Gillespie from from Villanova is and he tore his MCL. There's no chance of him coming back. We think there's at least a chance of Isaiah Livers coming back from that stress fracture. Maybe, you know, maybe he can give him, you know, seven, ten minutes per half off the bench shooting, which would be something. You know, their best shooter being a, their, you know, their team leader. That'd be a, a huge assist. But I I'm curious your opinion on Jawan, Charles, as you uh, as he stepped into the college arena as a head coach, there was some question how quickly he was going to make that transition. You know, would he be able to recruit? Uh, you know, would he be able to be good in X's and O's? He's done all of that, and I'm curious, were you were you at all surprised by how quickly he has his team playing at this level? Well, first of all, he was with the Miami Heat, who's probably the best organization we got in the NBA. Uh, Tim will tell you, anybody who works for Pat Riley, he takes no BS. I mean, he, he weighs those players like once a week throughout the season. <laughs> like, I, I guarantee you that, that they're the only team in the league that has conditioning tests and weight players throughout the season every week. You have to stay at a certain weight all the time. So coming from the best organization in the NBA, you know, you hear guys talk about it. Dwayne Wade talk about it. Alonzo Morgan talk about it. You hear Jimmy Butler, the Miami Heat Wade. So you knew he was going to be prepared and they were going to work hard. I think it's a huge advantage for him being the NBA. Because the one thing that I noticed about college, this is my 10th year, these guys can't coach a lick. <laughs> uh, you know, I, what I mean by that is, and Tim knows this, when you're in the NBA, you have – three or four ways to play a play if it's not working. Sometimes when I'm watching March Madness, a team will run the same play five times in a row, get the exact same shot, layup, or wide open shot, and I'm saying, well, they're going to play it different this time, aren't they? And they make no adjustments. I mean, and it drives me crazy because I'm like, yo, man, they ran the same play. Okay, it worked the first time. It worked the second time. It can't work anymore. We're going to make an adjustment. So I knew Jawan was going to be great on making adjustments. Now, the key was always going to be recruiting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a different animal right now, uh, recruiting. I think you saw with Duke uh, and, uh, excuse me, Kentucky, uh, this one-and-done thing. It's great when it works out, but when it doesn't work out, it's going to be ugly. So I think what's going to happen going forward is we're going to see more teams recruiting guys who aren't one and done. Now, if you can get a guy like a Zion or somebody like that, yeah, you have to take it. But I think guys realize that now it's like, 
okay, if we get these ones done, you know, it's got to work perfect. But if it doesn't work, it's going to look ugly. And that's what happened to Kentucky and Duke this year. Uh, so if Juwan can recruit, uh, and I tell you what, I love his assistance. You know, I've known Phil Martelli a hundred years. <laughs> you know, what, and Tim knows this. When we played for the Sixers, we practiced at St. Joe's. Yeah, Charles, I, t- I I shared with Sam the story about when when I came to practice one morning after a loss, and you had thrown my shoes and my shorts and my shirt up in that big tree outside of St. Joe's. I hope you remember that because I certainly do. Well, let me tell you something. We listen, Tim. You know how stupid and crazy we are. Uh, you know th- th- that's the only thing. Well, you missed the paycheck too. Uh, but the, the thing you miss. The thing you miss the most is being around the guys. There's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing like being on a team. Uh, like uh, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it's like that in every sport. I mean, I got friends in every sport, and they're like, man, I miss being around the guys. And first of all, it's, the winning is the greatest thing in the world when you're winning. But when you lose, it sucks. But when you play with good dudes, like, I remember one time, we didn't have a great team in Philly, but we played hard every single night. And we just wasn't any good. But we played hard every single night. And that was like one of my most fun years playing basketball. And then I played on really good teams, and everybody hated each other because everybody was jealous who made the most money, who got the most commercials. And it sucked. Mm-hmm. And we should we should have had a much better team from a talent standpoint but guys, uh, there's so much jealousy with some of these guys. It drove me crazy. Um, and uh, but man, I still miss it because there's always one or two guys. There's always one or two guys. So me and Tim always got along great. Uh, me and my horn, Mike Jeminski, Derek Smith. Let me throw another name out there because we played with Dr. J. I mean, Julius was a mentor to you and me in a big way. Um, we both play with Moses Malone. Why is culture and, and young players um, learning so much so important, you know, especially in March? What, what did you learn from Julius and Moses and, and so many of those guys? Well, Tim, it's kind of like when I tell kids, man, listen to your parents. I, I, I said, listen, your parents aren't trying to be a pain in the ass. They're trying to help you be successful, make not do some of the stupid stuff they did. I said, number one thing, I, when I speak to kids, I said, yo, man, your parents aren't trying to be a pain in the ass. They're trying to help you be successful. And during my generation, which I think has really hurt the NBA today, you know, when I got there, Moses Malone is the, by far and away the most important person in my career. Mm. You know, when I got to the NBA, I weighed 295 pounds. I, you know, and I thought I was in shape. Uh, and, you know, I was in college for three years and led the SEC in rebound for three years. So I think I'm successful. And I wasn't getting a play. And I asked Moses, Moses, why am I not getting a play? And he said, you're fat and you're lazy. Well, <laughs> like any grown man, uh, I, went da- I went down to my condo and cried. And um, I called him later that night. I said, will you help me? He said, I'll see you early in the morning. And this guy made me lose 50 pounds. Mm. And I, first of all, I didn't know I could lose 50 pounds, but he made me lose 50 pounds, and the rest is history. And Dr. J, 
he taught me. Uh, so Moses is the most important person from a basketball standpoint. Dr. J taught me how to be nice to fans, sign every autograph, take every picture. And, you know, people, I'm always going to sign autographs and take pictures, even when there's a pain in the ass. You know, because I don't want to be interrupted all the time when I'm trying to eat or I'm out with my friends. But Doc told me, always sign autographs and take pictures. And I learned that the most from him. So, you know, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is when we were in Philly together, we played a ton of golf. Remember at Cobbs Creek? And, and your game was decent back then. What in the world happened to you? You know, Tim, when I got traded to Phoenix, I realized that I needed to get better at golf because I was playing with better golfers. Dan Marley's a much better golfer than you. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I was a good, solid golfer. I broke 80 sometime. Uh, I was going to shoot between 78 and 84, 85, depending on how well I hit the ball. But when I got traded to Phoenix, you know, I'm playing golf with Dan Marley. Uh, I'm playing golf with Phil Mickelson. He, you know, his wife, Amy, danced for the Suns. So I'm, like, playing golf with him. I'm like, I got to get better. So, man, I started taking lessons from every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world, Tim. <laughs> and be- before I knew it, I had so – I had – you know, I felt like, you know, you see seen those shows where people got multiple personalities. I had like six different teachers talking to me at the same time when I was getting ready to swing the golf club, and I totally lost it. I mean, when I was standing over the ball, I was thinking, I'm not even joking, I was thinking six to eight to ten different things, and I just uh, I just ruined my game, uh, hmm. plain and simple. But I will say this. I, I really sucked at golf for probably 20 years, and I actually quit playing for a long time. I was only playing celebrity events for my friends. But I met a guy a couple of years ago named Stan Utley. Uh, my friends call him Mr. Miyagi because he's my karate kid guy. He's Mr. Miyagi. And this guy, I, I'm playing better than I maybe ever have played in my life. I'm not consistent. But and I'm thinking once I get through March Madness and uh, the NBA playoffs, uh, I think if when I keep working hard on my game, I think I'm gonna be back to single digits this summer. But I just took, I tried to, I just started taking too many lessons and got screwed up, Tim. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to, I want to see some of that because I think I can make some money off <laughs> of your single digit, Charles. Wait, wh- you, you, didn't, you didn't, you didn't see me and Phil Mitchell kick Payton and Steph Curry? I saw you, I saw you, I saw you, and I was proud of you. you. You've gotten better, I have to admit. I mean, you can complete a swing now, so that's that's major progress. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, that, hey, listen, I, I know this might come up to shock. Being able to complete a swing is probably a really good thing in golf. <laughs> no question. No question. Hey, what, one other thing I wanted to ask you, part of March Madness has become like the Capital One commercials, and I love you and Samuel L. Jackson and Spike Lee and Bird Magic. There's got to be some good, fun stories about that. Well, listen, Working with Sam, it's one of the highlights of my life. He is flat out amazing. And Spike, obviously, you know, we added Bird, we added Magic this year. But the thing that's funny working with Sam, he is the best at telling people, like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's not funny and it's stupid and I'm not going to put anything stupid on camera. 
And when Sam speaks, he's like, you have heard because everybody in the room is afraid of him. <laughs> but but it's hilarious. Like we we so so we always try to stick to the script, but sometimes the, the script is stupid. And like sometimes he has to like yeah 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 I'm not doing that I'm not saying that Chuck's not doing that Spike's not doing that, and everybody in the room who's who's technically the boss and we just paid actors, you can hear a pin drop. But that's the one thing I have learned the most from Sam. Like even when I'm shooting commercials without Sam, he's like. Chuck, if it, if you know if it's funny or it's stupid, don't put anything stupid on camera because that's your resume going forward. And I was like, okay. So, but so like when I'm shooting other commercials, I say, yeah, that's not funny. Let's try to figure out some. Let's try to stick within the parameters of what you want. But I want y'all commercial to be successful. Uh, I want it to be successful, but. Man, Sam taught me, hey, if it's if it's stupid, don't do it. Mm, mm. So a couple of opinion questions from you, Charles. I mean, it's all opinion, right? But Hunter Dickinson, seven-footer, more of a traditional big man. He comes in, and he's, he's Big Ten freshman of the year. He's all Big Ten first team. And you look around, and they say, well, I don't quite know how well that traditional big man translates to the NBA. And I'm curious, do you see – that that role kind of being becoming more prominent moving forward. Those guys that are, you know, can work it in the paint, back to the basket. Is there going to be a return of uh, to prominence or prevalence of those kind of guys? Well, if you look at the guy who's the, probably the front runner for MVP is Joel Embiid. He finally realized he was 7'2 and could dominate in the post instead of shoot threes. You know, he hates me and Shaq. We've been telling him for two years, yeah, man, you're 7'2". Nobody can handle you in the post. Why are you shooting threes? If I was – and Tim knows this as a center. He won't Joel Embiid out there jacking up threes mm-hmm. instead of trying to wrestle with him in the post. So, you know, I, I look at some of these other guys. Anthony Davis shoots some threes, but he stays in the post. You know, Carl Anthony Town, you know, I don't know what he's doing out there shooting all those threes. Listen, when a big guy shoots threes, the defense loves it. They don't get in foul trouble. Uh, it, and if you're not a good three-point shooter, I don't know why you're just shooting threes just because the Golden State Warriors started shooting threes, and they were great at it. But, listen, I like that kid. I hope he stays in school. Uh, I hope he stays in school because uh, he, he got a bright future. But, listen, if you're a big guy who can play, man, if you know how to play, Look at that kid at Loyola, uh, Chicago, Crutwick. This dude ain't never going to get picked in the game until the, after they've seen him play because he, he is a terrific player. But if you're just going by, you know, he don't look like he can play, you would never pick him. But he can play on my team anytime because he's terrific. <laughs> you said so, Joel Embiid doesn't like you and Shaq. But you that's not – abnormal it seems charles when you speak your mind some of these guys get their feathers their feathers ruffled a bit and i'm curious man have, have any of those guys ever come back around and said you know what you know what chuck you you were right or they just flat out listen because you were a great player and they said man i need to listen to that guy because he did a few things on the basketball court do you ever get them coming back around and saying they were wrong and you were right well no they only call me when i said something bad about them. they never called me when i said something good about them it, it, it's really funny. I can say nine great things about him and one bad thing, 
and they go crazy. They call me, the agent called me, and I'm like, yo, man, you never said, you never called me when I said something good about your client. Why do you call me when I say one bad thing? And first of all, you know, I, and one thing that Dr. J taught me too, you know, Tim, to take it back on that. When I first started becoming a star, I think it was my third year in the league. Doc, I had, uh, Doc was had a couple more years ago. I think we played together for four. And I was just becoming a star. So my third year, late in my second year, early in my third year, they started writing things about me. And I talked to Doc. So Doc taught me a lot. And I said, Doc, how do I handle criticism? He says, son, let me ask you a question. First thing you ask yourself, is it true? That's the first thing you have to ask yourself, is it true? And then sometimes criticisms aren't fair. They just aren't fair. But the first thing you have to ask yourself is the criticism fair. And then you just go from there. Listen, I've been on television for 20 years. I have never said anything about a player that was personal, who I didn't like. And clearly, I don't. I don't dislike these players, but there's some I like more than others. But I can say in my 20 years on television, I have never said something about a player just because I didn't like their personality. My criticism are always basketball-related. I never get in their personal life also. Uh, and I really don't care what they do off the court. Uh, that's none of my business. Uh, but all my criticism always going to be fair and sticking to basketball. <laughs> All right, so Charles, wait. So you said that I, this is not my last question, but when you said that, I thought of a time where you were on the show and you said, <laughs> "You said Sam Cassell looked like Gollum." Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I re I remember that. <laughs> first of all, first of all, Sam Cassell does look like Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Sam, and Sam, listen, Sam is a good enough. Sam is a good enough friend. Hey, and he first of all, Sam deserves a head coaching job. I'm surprised he hasn't got an opportunity yet. But Sam is a good enough friend where he knows that I, my job is to make people laugh on television. He's a terrific guy, a hell of a player. But you know, my job somewhat is. I tell people we're on from eight to two in the morning. Now, I could sit there and say, hey, they're running a pick and a roll. They're hedging. They're going under. They're going over. Oh, they're playing a matchup zone, a 1-3-1, one, one, a 2-3 zone, blah, blah, blah. That'd be stupid. Nobody wants to watch basketball for six hours and only talk about basketball. So my part of my job is to make sure people laugh and have a good time. And the one of the, re the, one of the reasons our show is successful is I think we have come with a perfect balance of if you want to know about basketball, we can talk to you about basketball. If you want stupidity, we can give you stupidity and make you laugh. <laughs> and, and that you do. <laughs> hey, this is my this yeah. is this is my this is my last my last one. Your basketball opinion. I need it from from both of you guys. As a matter of fact, I want you to chime in on this. They keep coming out with these. All-time rankings of NBA guys. I'm a lifelong Pistons fan. Love Isaiah Thomas. Why do they consistently put John Stockton ahead of Isaiah Thomas? On this last one ESPN did, they had John Stockton and Steve Nash ahead. Of, John Stockton, Steve Nash, and Allen Iverson all ahead of Isaiah Thomas on the all-time well, greats list. And I'm curious, where would you guys put all those guys ahead of Isaiah Thomas? Well, let me say this. Those lists are designed for people to 
get people to call in or argue on the radio or TV like an idiot. That's all they're designed for. I mean, I see I, that's a, that's a, that's a perfect question that you asked me. I think sometimes the fans are so stupid they don't realize guys on radio mainly say stupid stuff. So you can call it. A, I got friends in Philly. I'll give you an example. I got friends in Philly. I live in Philly during the summer. My, my, my residence is in Arizona. But I live in Philly during the summer. And I got friends who are great radio hosts. And we'll play golf all morning. And I said, what are you going to talk about today? And they say, I'm going to say this. I said, you don't believe that, do you? He's like, nah, but these people are going to call in to argue with me for four hours. <laughs> Charles, I got to get people to call in to argue with me for four hours. That's what this thing is. It, it, it ain't about trying to be right or wrong or do this. I'm on radio for four hours. My job is to get people to call in and argue with me. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what you say. Some people are going to agree with you and disagree mm. with you. But that's the way the business works. Let me just tell you this. Uh, and this is just my opinion. I always phrase everything in my opinion. Steve Nash, John Stockton, uh, Allen Iverson are all three greats. They were not as good as Isaiah Thomas. Listen, anybody who thinks those three guys, listen, those three guys are great players. I love John Stockton, dream team teammate. Got love for Steve Nash. It was a privilege to watch him play when, I was, when I'm at home. Allen Iverson, the answer was transcendent. None of those guys were as good as Isaiah Thomas, plain and simple. Anybody think that does not know anything about basketball. That's good. That's good. I, I, I'm, I'm right with you. And, Charles, you've been so gracious with your time. And I want to just share one final memory. In 1987, you came to Clarkston High School to talk to my basketball camp. And you didn't charge me. You paid for your own flight. And my favorite memory was later that night, we went out to a club and all of my college age counselors were drinking Dom Perignon on your tab. <laughs> and and that was the highlight of their life. They always talk about that still. Well, Tim, let me say this. When you reached out to me the other day, uh, I said, of course, man, uh, you know, I got a lot of love and respect for you. Uh, listen, uh, you, Mahorn, Jaminski, uh, Derek Smith, rest in peace. Uh, man, y'all were some of my favorite teammates. If any time y'all ever asked me to do anything, hey, I was all in. And listen, if you're gonna drink champagne, you got to drink the good stuff. You know that, Tim. I'm sure you can't be drink, you can't be drinking cheap champagne. You know, that, that, that's like drinking cheap tequila. It's gonna come back on you at some point. Well, you shared what you learned from Julius. I learned about drinking really good champagne from you. So, Charles, thank you very much. We can't wait to listen to you during the tournament. Thanks, Charles. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Hey, tell the guys at Michigan, man, hey, listen, you still got to go out and play, and I love to see them at the Final Four. All right. We'll be there. We'll be there. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you, Charles. Charles. Tim, I, I've said it many times. Um, you know, so much fun doing this podcast talking to you know expert getting expert opinions from guys who have worn the uniforms played at all those levels but wow uh, that was different <laughs> that was you, you full fan right breath. there you're a little bit out of breath sam <laughs> <laughs> that was you fantastic know, the, the the nice thing is that you know charles charles was was you know bigger than the game um he his personality is what separated him and he was always fun. And I'm just, you know, I'm just filled with, 
with a lot of memories when I watch um, him on TNT. Every night, something else flashes back. Um, you know, him dressing up like Santa Claus one year, and I mean, there's just there's there are a thousand stories, and it was great to catch up with him. I'm, I'm I, I could tell you enjoyed it too, so that's really oh. that's meaningful to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. Uh, and he had some insight into Michigan, which was great. And so let's let's shift the focus back to the Wolverines, their their path. And I know Charles is saying, hey, with with Isaiah Livers sidelined indefinitely is going to make the path that much tougher. You have some people thinking that they might stumble in the second round against either St. Bonaventure or LSU. I disagree, Tim, but I think it's it's necessary to talk about both of those teams. One of the best 8-9 uh, matchups in the field, probably some people say the best. What do you make of St. Bonnie's? What do you think of LSU? Well, I um I broadcast two of St. Bonaventure's games this year and watched four others, so I know them very well. They're highly dangerous. All five starters are juniors. All five starters average double figures. And the interesting thing about them is their their starters will play over 35 minutes a game. They have no bench whatsoever. And and so if you get anybody in foul trouble, it's a big advantage. Um, Kyle Lofton, first team all A10, he averages 39.8 minutes per game. I thought that was a, an interesting stat. You, you can't do much more than that. Um, high assist, he's very efficient, big time point guard and leader. Um, Oshun Oshuni, is, and I, I say that flawlessly because you sure I do. practiced it for about six hours earlier in the year. Um, he's, a, he's the best defensive player in the A10. And if you get him in foul trouble, which could happen against Hunter, game over for sure. Their wings are awesome. Jalen Holmes is among the A-10's best perimeter guys. They've got a, a player named Jalen Attaway, uh, just a stud, 6'5", super athlete. You, you've got to be impressed with him in transition. And, and so Michigan will have a lot of advantages going inside. But this is a tough squad. They, they won six of their last seven. Uh, they had a lot of COVID problems early in the year, but right now they're very healthy. I, I guess that's the benefit of having it early is that all of your players are, are pretty well immune right now. So St. Bonaventure is really good, and and most people are picking LSU. I'm picking the Bonnies. Interesting. And, and so to me, the question about that game is who can dictate tempo? Because no you, know, you, you know that St. Bonaventure, they're going to be deliberate in their pace, right? Whereas LSU, they're getting up and down. Let's let's track meet. We're we're trying to get to 100, right? We're we are scoring and to the point where Tim, I don't know if you looked at LSU's defensive numbers. Uh but we we ragged on Iowa for what a bad defensive team they've been in recent years and granted they've been playing better defense of late. But LSU, I mean, they're 125 in defensive efficiency. They are very deficient defensively but it works for them because they can outscore most teams their top three scorers all average more than St. Bonaventure's leading scorer so you know they have a lot of firepower I wonder if you think you must think that St. Bonaventure is going to be able to slow them down slow the pace down enough to be able to dictate it yeah St. Bonaventure is a smarter team and and LSU is very dangerous on given games they can they can put up huge numbers um, I saw them beat Auburn, blow out Auburn by scoring 104 points. 
Um, so, and they, they've got some really big time wins too. They were great in the SEC tournament. They took Alabama to, to the championship game, only lost by one. Um, Cam Thomas is the best freshman in the SEC, and, and he's, as, he's as good as anybody in the freshman class. Definitely a first-round draft pick. He gets you like 23, 24 points a game, really good shooter, very creative. Um, they've got another kid named Trendon Watford who, who averages you know nearly 20. He had 30 in that championship game and was just great. I, I cannot wait for the Franz Wagner Trendon Watford matchup. That 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 is going to be awesome. Um, I don't worry about the rebound battle versus the Tigers. Michigan will win there. Um, three point shooting. I don't trust their three point shooting. I don't think they're very good beyond the arc. Um, and defensively, they they've gotten a little bit better, but they they try to mix up their defenses a lot. I think we'll see a lot of zone to try to deal with Michigan size. Um, I would keep an eye on Terrence Williams. I think he's going to get a, a chance to play uh, when they, they are in zone because he's so darn well. Um, he's so darn good in the middle of that, that zone. Uh, we, we really remember, I think it was Oakland where they went to that zone and, and Terrence Williams and Hunter Dickinson had great chemistry. Um, let's see what else about LSU. I don't think they're very disciplined. They, yeah, they've got really good athletes. Um, you know, turnovers will be interesting They're they're going to try to get Michigan out of the rhythm, but I just don't think that that'll happen. Michigan will play smarter. Um, and, and also their, their big guy is Darius days and, and he's, he's a really good player, but he's six, seven, 240 pounds. I think he's just, he's too small for, for Hunter Dickinson. It, it'll be kind of like, um, he's the size of maybe EJ Liddell, but they mm-hmm. don't have. Um, you know, a Zeb key in the back to support him too. So if he gets in foul trouble, huge advantage for Michigan. Yeah, I, this gets back to something that we talked about earlier. And I just feel like whatever style you want to play, whether it's up and down, Michigan can play that way. You want to get into a half court game, Michigan can play that way. And, and so it, it's whereas I think those teams, it'll be interesting to see how the other team reacts to how they play. So how does how, can St. Bonaventure slow LSU down? Can LSU speed St. Bonaventure up? Against Michigan, I, I don't think it matters. Because Michigan can play a slower pace. They can pound you in the post. They can get it done in a half court. But if you want to get up and down, they can track meet you too. We've seen them win both ways. That's why I think uh, Michigan should be favored against both of those teams and would beat, uh, would beat whoever will beat whoever they face uh, You know, as far as the winner of that game is concerned. Yeah, the, the number one thing I'm looking for, regardless of of whether it's LSU or St. Bonaventure, is just pure energy and passion on the defensive end. We haven't seen Michigan connected, re- really connected, where they're all five guys working as one since the week of, I think it was February 20th, um, at Ohio State, home to Iowa, at Indiana. Um, Michigan's defense was tremendous. They were tight with their rotation. The communication was good. And and then there, there's been slippage since. They can get back there, and they really need to. And, and I um, I think that's the number one key for Michigan. They need to be locked in on their scouting report. All right. So, Tim, next podcast, by the time we come back, we're going to be talking about Michigan in the Sweet 16. That's your prediction, right? No doubt. And and this is a tournament that I'm so excited about because I think this team's got great potential. I'm right there with you. Well, folks, uh, this podcast is always a treat. 
uh, this one was a treat and a half. So I hope you enjoyed it, but much, much more when it comes to the Michigan basketball breakdown. Right back at it next week here on the podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and review it. Tell all your friends about it. They can find it on whatever podcast platform they like. Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Just tell them to search Michigan Insider Podcast. Up they'll come. Grab the Michigan Basketball Insider. And you can always hear Tim McCormick and I here on the Michigan Basketball Insider.